Welcome to Grumpy GDPR. My name is Miloš Novovic and I'm an Associate Professor of Law at BI Norwegian Business School. All opinions today are entirely my own. And I'm Ria Alexandra Valle from No Ties Consulting. Well, hello there. Good morning, I want to say, because Ria and I are recording in the morning. This is new for us, isn't it? Yeah, I think maybe we've recorded once before in the morning, but it's uh, it's nice. Cup of coffee. Oh, it's nice, not nice. and quiet. I'm definitely not a morning person. So today I'm going to be extra grumpy and you have to be optimistic uh, on my behalf. I'll balance that because I usually get up at 5.30 in the morning. So I am an early bird for sure. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Uh, here is the way then we're going to cut this cookie, if that's what I say. How about we talk about uh, one of your topics? I think I spied with my little lie, haha, at some point that uh, you're very interested in employee surveillance and yeah, basically employee surveillance type of stuff. So why don't we talk a bit about that today? Oh, yes, for sure. And let me start by saying that it's not because I'm using all of this uh, employee surveillance myself. That would be a bit strange considering I am uh, currently the only employee here. So, um, but yes, for sure, employee monitoring and surveillance, that is such a super interesting topic, I think. So what's, when I say employee surveillance, what comes into your mind? Into my mind immediately? Uh, yeah. Logging. Logging, I would say IT logging of everything that's been on everyone's mind, right? So for security purposes, like that's number one that like immediately comes to mind. Yeah. How about you? What's the first thought? So this is not new. It's not new software or anything. But I think uh, with the pandemic, everything just exploded. This, uh, these tools have been used for years, but uh, unfortunately, the pandemic just really accelerated that. And I think it's uh, valuable to just split between two things. So you have what you said from a security perspective, logging and monitoring to make sure that everything is uh, safe and sound. And uh, of course, there are legal bases for that type of processing. But on the other hand, you have monitoring that is super invasive, just controlling everything that people do. We, we've seen discussions around people being forced to have their camera on at all times during the pandemic, just for the employer to control that you are actually working. So, and that's a slightly different debate as well, but uh, I just find this topic uh, very relevant to discuss now. Definitely. I think you raise a very interesting point that during the pandemic, actually, this uh, whole blurry line between home and work, as it got increasingly blurry over the last years, now it's been kind of completely lost. We um, more and more people tend to work from home. It gets increasingly difficult to separate between a professional and a personal environment. Yeah, and uh, I saw one slide uh, a few months back showing the development of uh, employee monitoring software. And I was absolutely shocked and horrified. There aren't even just a few hundreds uh, or a dozens of these tools. There are thousands different tools and apps that employers can implement in their organizational business to monitor everything like from mouse movements to your audio to your screen and everything and I will come back to that a bit later and I just find that trend very very worrying and this is the one of the positives with the GDPR and I think also maybe the traditions in Europe 
as far as I can see, this is much more common in the US, for example. Mm. But uh, here is my concern, and I keep repeating that throughout the episodes. Does this work? Like, what are you actually trying to achieve? Like, you know, people, it's always um, like if you show so much distrust towards your own employees, you will only be met with distrust, right? I mean, what are you trying to do? Unless it's for legitimate security purposes, unless there is something very specific about exactly that type of position, then like, I really don't get it. Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up because I think that is the core of the discussion. Exactly what you said there. Why do we need this? And as a DPO, for example, if somebody from HR approaches you about uh, implementing such tools, I think it's always beneficial for DPO to just take a step back and look at what is the actual need here? What are we trying to solve? So rather than just looking at immediately jumping to assessing various tools or uh, thinking about doing a DPIA, then take a step back and look at like, why, why do we actually need this? What is sparking this need and as you said distrust do you really distrust your employees that much that you need to monitor everything that they're doing and i think you raise a super interesting point there that like uh you actually need to tread a very fine line there as a dpo especially in cooperation with hr uh we talked a bit about that in our episode on uh, in the interviewing process and the use of these analytical tools there and then if you add employee monitoring to that at some point it seems that uh you need to kind of have a very close working relationship with uh the HR departments and call them out continuously on basically challenge them on their field of uh expertise asking them to explain to you um, to be able to document, of course, why they're doing this. And then through that process, maybe a lot of these tools will turn out to be not as useful, not as relevant as they thought. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I don't think it's um, the HR team's request. This is definitely something coming from the top of organizations, for sure. So I looked at some of the statistics and... Interestingly, in 2018, Gartner did a survey about, of about 240 large corporations, and they found that more than 50% were using some type of non-traditional monitoring techniques. And by 2020, they expected about 80% of companies to be monitoring employees. And as I said, initially, this was accelerated by the pandemic. So YouGov, they had another study in 2020 showing that about one in five companies, so across the board, not just the large ones, have or intend to engage in using a form of employee monitoring tools. And in July this year, the Norwegian Data Protection Authority, they released a guidance on using such tools. Have you seen that? I haven't read through the whole guidance. I have skimmed. It looked relatively non-controversial to me. So I, I have to admit I didn't go down uh, that deep. Is there anything uh, kind of, yeah, that was surprising? Sh shocking, shocking yes. news. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, very good that the DPA have written this uh, guidance because it's very useful for uh, employers and I recommend every employer even considering using any form of uh, monitoring tool to read the guidance. They found some worrying numbers though. Uh, so there are a couple of things that I want to discuss from this guidance. First is that over half of the uh, employees said that they have little, very little or no information at all about what kind of personal data their employers process on them. Mm. 
So this isn't uh, per se about the monitoring bit, but it's about transparency and your right to information and to know what kind of personal data you process. And I see that a lot of people, they focus on their website privacy policy and what type of personal data you process on your customers. But it's as important for your uh, employees, right? Oh yeah, that's easily forgotten and easily overlooked. I think that there are definitely many organizations which forget to write some type of a privacy notice for their own employees and to give them proper access to uh, all the, you know, all the things, all the rights that they would normally give externally. Uh, that being said, it is in some situations more difficult to actually uh, provide such information to your employees. I guess uh, you... How? Well, I can imagine that you would not, it might be difficult to keep updating all the internal and external privacy notices at the same time to make it possible and convenient to do the data subject requests in the same way because the data might be stored in different systems. It would be money and time consuming. I don't agree. <laughs> no, okay, please. Because uh, I, first of all, I don't think you should uh, publish your employee privacy notice on your in your website privacy notice or or policy. We, we, policy. we can discuss the terms later. Yeah. Because as you said, it's cumbersome. It's not very efficient, and they don't really need that information until they are actually employed. However, I do recommend that you have a separate job application privacy notice uh, that can also be separate from the general website one. It all depends on your size of uh, organization, right? So if you're a tiny business, you can just have one. If you're a larger organization, of course, you should uh, split them. But you can mention anyway that if you want to know what personal data we process on you as an employee of ours, then please do reach out and then you can give them a copy of that. So providing a privacy notice, an updated one at all times to employees is not a challenge as I see it. It can be easily done whenever you update your ROPA, the records of processing activities. You can uh, update the intranet or send out uh, an email or whatever. I really don't see that as very challenging. But come on, it is basically a parallel uh, compliance project, more or less. You, you need to do everything, um, possibly in different systems, possibly through different information channels. It's probably somewhat standardized across industries, but there yeah. is an investment of time and money there. But obviously, you know, uh, to take a step back from my stance, we are talking about fundamental rights. Obviously, you want to make sure that your employees have access to proper uh, remedies and uh, as a DPO, if you go out there and preach how your customers or users need to actually, uh, you know, have basically their rights covered, you're going to do a very poor job explaining that internally if people feel like they don't have those rights themselves. Yeah, and of course, here's again the scale of uh, GDPR compliance between the extreme and the anarchy one. Uh, you don't need to immediately inform everybody. Of course, you take a, you know you consider it from a pragmatic perspective. Maybe you do a yearly update. Maybe you do uh, updates twice a year. Or in the case if you are considering implementing employee monitoring tools then you should definitely ask them or consult uh, the or the employees uh, beforehand, depending yeah, on the use, of course. Definitely. No, through the DPI process, through everything, yes. Yes, I, I fully, fully agree. But so the second part of uh, the guidance from the DPA, which I think is pretty good, is they 
they actually purchased several systems to try themselves, which I found super interesting that they actually go out and they purchase these things and they try them in their own environment. So they didn't obviously try it on the uh, employees of the DPA, but they tried it uh, to see how invasive or not these tools are. And they had uh, three different tools that they tested. And one of them is quite shocking. So I'm just uh, reading from the guidance. So this um, software C, there the employees are monitored at all times through their uh, private inboxes, the email inboxes, not the private ones, but the work ones. But they can also monitor the private ones because they can monitor every website that the employee visits and uh, everything they access. And they can take screenshots of okay. the screen throughout the workday. So if yeah. the uh, employee ha is logged into their bank account, for example, or mm. searching for health-related information, that yeah. can be recorded. Mm. No, that is the, that is definitely too much because I was thinking, you know, having a log of which websites are being accessed, like you can keep like a high-level overview. So like maybe not the full URL, but you can keep a list in my opinion, just to make sure, once again, perhaps for security purposes, depends entirely on the purpose of processing. But I can see that it might not be that problematic to have an overview, high-level overview of websites. But my God, screenshots, that's, I would argue that's going too far. But yeah. Can I raise a point here once again? I think it entirely depends on what kind of employees we were talking and what is the exact purpose of uh, processing. And we go back to proportionality and everything. So like if I'm a super secret agent, Milos, who, who is, you know, the only one like decoding the nuclear codes or whatever, then obviously, you know, there is a much higher need. And yes, please go ahead, take the screenshots, take my email, take everything, you know. So to that yeah. extent, I can I can see what we just have to go back to basics as you and I always preach article Oh my five. gosh, we are back to basics once again. Yeah, here we are. You know what, that is super interesting. And I think that that kind of empirical research is the future and kudos to Datsilsina and the other authorities which do that kind of work because I think that's exactly what's needed. That's what people appreciate. Yeah, and uh, maybe people get bored about us uh, referring uh, constantly to Article 5 of the GDPR, but it's just so it encapsulates it's everything that's important to think about. So even if you're assessing uh, implementing such a tool, if you just glance through Article 5, you will immediately just become more conscious about that type of processing, I, mm. I would argue, and I would hope. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. You know, th there is no limit to me preaching Article 5. But here is a more complex question, though. Uh, Article 6, legal basis, right? So yeah. kind of our default always is to go to legitimate interest for any kind of monitoring, right? I thought you were going to say consent. Oh, God, but no. maybe Employees our default is consent? that, but others' default tend to be <laughs> consent. My, uh, okay, <laughs> if I were to say consent... Yes, I, I would say I, I'm no. Not even, I, I'm not even going to finish that. No, so no consent to monitoring. But uh, I think you could argue, even I can't argue contractual necessity. And you know that I try fitting it into everything. But for monitoring, I think legitimate interest only makes sense, right? 
Yes, I agree. And I think also maybe legal obligation, depending on exactly what you touched upon, the type of uh, business and what you're actually working with and how, etc. But uh, legitimate interest uh, for sure, combined with transparency, because mm. regardless of the legal basis, you have to inform your employees uh, about uh, what you're doing. Yeah. And I think especially for legitimate interest, it is so explicitly said many things without transparency, there is basically no legitimate interest. There needs to be uh, some kind of foreseeability for the data subject. But before we continue about legitimate interest, actually an idea just occurred to me. In a stroke of brilliance, one of my um, previous colleagues actually at some point suggested using legal obligation that you mentioned for the logging purposes or for uh, security monitoring of employees, basically arguing that under the GDPR itself, you have the obligation to protect their data. And then because you have that legal obligation, you also implement a certain level of monitoring. And then it's much easier to argue them for the legitimate interest, right? Because for legal obligation, you don't need to do the balancing test. You don't have to uh, implement things for the right to object. So isn't that an interesting argument? So basically, uh, you have a legal obligation under the GDPR to secure personal data. So that's why you monitor to secure personal data. Hmm. It's an, so uh, right? the way I'm always thinking about uh, legal obligation, and it might not be right, is that you need the um, legal grounds in a different law or regulation than the GDPR. But uh, that's what just I immediately thought about. I don't know if that's correct. But uh, I would say that maybe that is, it feels like a stretch. I think I have to give it some more thought. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's, let's talk about that. Uh, let's think about it. I think that legal obligation is a conversation onto its own. Um, and back to legitimate interests, like uh, when you're doing uh, this kind of assessment, um, I, I, I think it's, it's very difficult, right, to find that balance when we talk about employees. It depends on what it is. I think if we look back at what we started with, uh, seeing this from, so you have two situ scenarios. First is the traditional monitoring, which is uh, for security and other, what do you say, typically fine uh, purposes. Then I think uh, the legal basis and the legitimate interest assessment is pretty straightforward. So it's more just making sure that you have it documented and uh, archived. Then for other purposes like uh, monitoring emails, uh, recording calls with customers, for example, you really need to dig through who are, uh, what are the categories of personal data being processed, in what way have we informed our employees about this? Have we involved them? Have we conducted a DPIA? How is this meant to be taking place? How long are we going to retain the data? Are we going to combine it, etc.? So I think that exercise is much more demanding for any um, other purposes. But again, it's just I, I'm just thinking while I'm I'm saying all of this that unfortunately I think that some that are using these kind of tools, they aren't disclosing that to their employees and they're for sure not doing any legitimate interest mm. assessment. So yeah. it just felt very meaningless yeah. to go through that. Yeah, no, 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 I totally get that. Uh, here is a bit of, uh, of history. Like, I don't know if you remember 
Uh, and I'm going probably to make up half of the facts here, but there was that case in Norway, which made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court under the directive, so not under the GDPR, uh, which was actually more or less an employee surveillance case. So there was this uh, garbage disposal service, which kept kind of uh, time records of where, um, sorry, the uh, employees would turn in their kind of time records, which places they visited, and uh, the trucks also had the GPS devices, I'm supposing, which were initially installed to protect them from theft. So uh, what happened then was that one of these empl employers from such a service actually took the, um, the time lists that the employees delivered and compared those with the GPS records and concluded that some of them were basically taking longer breaks than what was stated on the time lists and used that obviously to sanction them or to fire them. And then the Supreme Court ended up actually uh, not even wanting to discuss the legitimate interest analysis, so entirely avoiding that discussion and just saying that uh, it's actually the purpose limitation principle, which is at the problem here, that you're collecting data for one purpose and then reusing it for a non-compatible one, which I found such a difficult and strange way because I think that arguing non-compatibility is, uh, is kind of... Yeah, it's a, it's an exercise in, I don't know, difficulty. I don't even know what to say. It's so complex. Uh, and I find that provision of the GDPR to be generally very unclear. Like you have to collect data again. So first, I don't know what that means, but I think the implication here is it could happen that instead of uh, sanctioning you for, the, for not having legitimate interest, the data protection authorities just say, wait, why did you originally gather this data? Can yeah. you actually... Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I see cases all the time touching upon the very same thing that it's a purpose compatibility issue. So you don't even get to the legitimate interest assessment. And I think here it's pretty clear that you can't collect uh, or monitor employees for one purpose, which is for security reasons, for example, but then use it to check whether or not they are uh, surfing social media or something else. And it's the same with access cards uh, into buildings, for example. So many keep the logs for security purposes, and then maybe they want to use those logs to check if uh, an individual was visiting the building at a given time, but they can't do that. Those, mm. are, uh, those are two separate purposes which are incompatible, and I think a lot of cases and decisions uh, show that. But I have to admit that the uh, purpose limitation principle I always found difficult to understand, basically. So even if you do have legal ground, according to what I'm reading, it doesn't matter if the data was originally uh, collected for another purpose. And that, to me, sounds so vague that I would have to say see some more case law before we go in depth here, because to me, it intuitively, it makes very little sense. So I ask for consent once, you say yes. After that, for another purpose... I see that I have a legitimate interest that I've informed about in the privacy notice, but I still can't reuse it. In any way, probably not a discussion for today, just saying that it's a confusing principle. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, an episode uh, of its own. Um, when we are talking about uh, cases, I did, of course, check the GDPR hub and I found a few interesting ones. So in Spain, for example, uh, they had, the DPA held that uh, while audio recordings of the workplace is legal under Spanish law, they are still responsible to inform their employees in advance. 
So that is again the transparency and uh, information. And then in uh, Germany, this company was fined 10.4 million euros for monitoring their employees over video without a legal oh. basis. So, you know, we already have a few cases uh, across the EEA and um, I would just encourage everybody to really think through what is the purpose of this and if uh, to document all of their uh, thoughts and the thought process, the involvement of a DPO if you have one and just make sure that you are clear on what the purpose is and that you have a legal basis for that processing. And next, if you are moving into more non-traditional uses, just make sure that you really think this through. Why not spend those uh, investments on uh, making your employees happy enough to want to keep working uh, on a productive level instead of trying to control and monitoring everything they're doing? And that, that was very well, very well said. I think that the, the starting point should always be just what you said. Try to improve the life of your employees. Don't monitor everything. Don't treat the workplace as a prison. Unless you work in an actual prison, then monitor away. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to wrap up, I just want to mention one article that I came across uh, it, it uh, explains how to trick employee monitoring software. And uh, there are some really creative ways here of, for example, automating the uh, mouse cursor movement or using uh, several monitors and uh, yeah, very creative ways on how to dodge this. Because I think it's human nature. If we want to be unproductive and if we want to, you know, uh, not work at a given time, we will likely just do that. So again, uh, the focus should be happy employees. But look, it's easy for us to say because I think neither one of us uh, would really thrive in a working environment which is that structured and which is, you know, your typical eight and eight and a half, whatever, 12 hours a day where you just have to sit there regardless of whether or not you have actual work to do. And uh, I think that in many, in many different contexts, it's very... Uh, hard for people to stay motivated throughout the day, but they do feel obliged to be present. So like, I totally get it. Uh, I, I think it's very hard to stay engaged throughout this whole period. And uh, at the same time, that does not mean that employers should be just monitoring everything. And as you say, it probably won't work either. Yeah. And just to uh, a final case that I want to mention was uh, from 2020, actually, when Microsoft uh, 365 enabled the My Analytics feature by default. And I think this is what was called Delve before that I came across uh, accidentally at uh, a prior job of mine. And I was pretty horrified to see the level of analytics that you can get through systems like 365 or Google Workspace. So you can pretty much monitor everything that you want uh, when somebody is using a computer. And the DPA, they uh, provided guidance for that case and said that you should, um, in their opinion, the use of my analytics in Microsoft uh, entails a requirement to conduct a DPIA. So again, I think we touched upon this in the Helsingør Google cases that you need to stay on top of the terms coming from your processors to see what um, for perhaps additional functionality that they are enabling by default, which could actually lead to a GDPR breach.
to me is just insane that any processor would dare to kick off processing uh, you know without yeah. it's just it makes no sense but we've talked about that before and i think uh, we will certainly continue talking about that in the future and the another the other issue is of course them providing these dpi templates and everything and how critically you have to approach that because there is a lot of information there where you actually have to take a closer look right yeah so if any of our listeners have any juicy stories uh, uh, regarding the use of uh, monitoring, have you experienced this yourself? We would love to hear some of your stories. So do reach out if you have something to share. That would be lovely. And in the meantime, stay grumpy. Catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>